Hi, my name's Brian, and like most of you, I'm staying at home during the pandemic. To pass the time, I decided to get some of my friends on the record about what they're cooking, how they're doing, and anything else that might be on their minds. Join me on What's Eating You. Today, I'm reconnecting with my friend Robert, although everyone but his mother calls him Rob. We've shared memorable times across two continents, but now find ourselves in truly foreign territory, the world of COVID. Today's conversation explores an idea of the shifting hold on the power to affect change, and who has that hold, along with our national need for truth and reconciliation. Finally, to take things to a different place, Rob shares a good story, one probably good enough for the ESPN family of networks. I think the next stop for this pod is Disney+. Plus. All right, Robert. Welcome. Welcome to the Thank pod. You. What's good, brother? What's going on? Shoot, man. Chilling. Surviving. <laughs> Surviving. Uh, yet, a, yet another guest who uh, whose address is, starts with a one and ends with like a million zeros, right? You open, <laughs> I don't know what part of town you're in, but New York's got like 30 zip codes. In, in That's Delaware. right. One repping the 10027 right now. <laughs> okay. Central Harlem. Okay. We out here. <laughs> no, you're you're in here because uh, you guys are still still keeping it pretty locked down, right? That's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Save save the occasional walk. That's about it. Good. Well, you know, Rob, I know I, I've known you obviously for for some time, but to give people a general sense, you know, I know for a lot of people who uh, aren't in New York, I feel like this is now becoming a big East Coast liberal liberal showcase. Well, don't worry, we'll go we'll go other places soon. But your situation a little different from some others, but you gotta. You got some some roommates. Yeah, well, I mean, I got a roommate and I got a squatter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, man, we uh, this the timing of this whole situation was just perfect. Uh, our son is going on eleven months old, so right when the pandemic hit and the quarantine hit in March, he just started crawling. Like he had just he had been turned six months, was in daycare for about two weeks, then everything shut down. And then as soon as we're like, okay, we can do this, we can be home, we can dot, 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 he starts crawling all over the apartment <clears throat> and basically has not stopped ever since. So, so you, so you transitioned to the home office and then very quickly you, uh, what, camera off? Like what's going on? What's going on in the background? Is he just always on the move? No, you know, he's always on the move or, or he, there were so many waves, right? So initially it was just on the move discovery um thankfully we don't have too many video calls but he's just like you know trying to get in it he's he's very my my mother calls him observant i call him nosy (laughs) but he's just like always trying to get into things right yeah and then and then later he just became so much more efficient and then that moved to a separation anxiety phase which is hilarious because how can you have separation anxiety when we're all in this apartment yeah right so then then it moved to now he's actually climbing on things, standing more or less on his own, and climbing. So we kind of have some of like those doggy stairs thing yeah. where we set up some stools by the couch and he's climbed on the couch and he wants to get on the back of the couch. And, you know, before he was stable uh, or rather not that stable. And so you had to kind of stand behind him to make sure he didn't fall over. And mm-hmm. it's, it's been, I guess that's been obviously the silver lining and blessing of this experience is having the opportunity to kind of, see all those milestones and changes in a way I've been able to, you know, commuting to work every day and, and coming home. But uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a trip, man. And, and he just, 
he is incredibly determined. Yeah, I was saying, you know, I, I wasn't aware until he was born that apparently a central trait of, of Virgos is their determination. And he definitely embodies that. Like, so just to put in perspective, like today I was watching the Man United game and he's always trying to like go up on the TV and tap it and touch it and stuff. And so you pull him back, right? He goes right back. And it's like those, those old car toys used to have where you pull them and they go forward. That's, that's him. Wow. Yeah. Just wind him up. Just wind him up. Exactly. And the, and the missus, I know, you know, you happily married, but people, people in quarantine, crazy things are happening. You know, you, yeah. you learn who the person really is. I mean, we've, we've avoided entanglement. So I think we're off with this. <laughs> um, yeah, no, man, we're, we're good. You know, of course we had like an adjustment period trying to figure things out. And like I said, for, for my work, especially, um, it was very heavy on the calls in the beginning and, uh, you know, she was amazing in managing that. Um, and now we've tried to share more of the load. And so it's really been, you know, as much about managing, you know, him, our son and, and everything around that, but also just being there for each other. And thankfully, like, we're used to kind of kicking it. I mean, honestly, we're possibly the best positioned people for this situation because it's not like on out and now we're caged in, right? Like, yeah. we went from, you know, late pregnancy with the kid and then I just come off paternity leave and it's not like we're, you know, going out a lot at night so right we really transitioned pretty well although you do wonder because you know especially with the isolation at least even as a household your parents are up the block right and and that's probably a little weird experience thinking about how they would also be a part of this right totally i mean the the blessing is that you know we're all healthy and we've been able to see them relatively often you know always at a distance as you know they're very cautious individuals um (laughs) So, you know, it's a lot of, like, meeting out front. I mean, they're still, like, rolling through all the time. So instead of, like, dropping off, you know, the dinners and, and leftovers in person, it's, hey, meet me out front. Like, before it was, it felt clandestine as hell. It was like, meet me out front, like, take the bag, don't touch anything, right? <laughs> and, then, and then it's, you know, then, like, evolved into okay, we can be together outside and talk at a distance. We can go, you know, for picnics together, that sort of thing. So it's been, it's been nice, but it still feels bizarre, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, they're so close and they haven't, now they have not held him in five months. And I'm sure for them, it's, it's agonizing. Mm-hmm. Not to mention he's probably too heavy for them. <laughs> <laughs> it's time warp. Yep. You're telling me. Well, I mean, at this rate, it could be grown before they before, before uh, things get back to normal. So, well, listen, like I said this in the beginning, I was like, the next time you know y'all can really interact with him, he's gonna be walking. And I was like, oh, I don't say that, but here we are. Yep. <laughs> well, so maybe that does uh, that does point us to um to the world. You know, I know it, you and I we have other bonds. For example, we both happen to study and do the same type of program, uh, grad program, and and. London, and we've had that other sort of perspective. But what have, what have you been thinking about the world or the country these past couple, couple, I don't know, weeks, months? It feels like thirty years, but yeah, right. Um, heavy. Honestly, it's vacillated so much, right? It, you know, it's it's particularly interesting. I think if we just look at the Black Lives Matter and, and racism and white supremacy angle, starting from the release of the Last Dance, the Jordan documentary, mm. through now, I mean. That was sort of a display of 
on one hand, you know, black excellence, obviously in the athletic arena, but also in, in economic sense and marketing and everything, and just really showing the origin story of a, an iconic figure. But the Achilles heel, or, or so as presented by a lot of, you know, <clears throat> the documentary filmmakers and, and the, you know, media reactions to, to the doc was his lack of, of civic action, right, of outward dissent or, or anything else. And then here we, you know, dovetail a few weeks later, really, into like the largest mass movement, certainly that we've seen in our lifetime um, in, in this country. And, uh, and it's fascinating, man. I mean, of course, you know, like everybody else, I was, I was incredibly angered by, you know, the, the murder of George Floyd and, and Breonna Taylor and everybody else who, you know, also doesn't get the, the same notoriety. But I, I'll, I'll be honest, man, I didn't think this protest show was going to work. <laughs> like, I really, I really thought, you know, I felt like we've been here before. What makes this time different? And really thinking of the point of, you know, wanting to argue more so from a perspective of taking, taking power and taking the authority and ability to to inject change and inject consequence right i think i think that's one thing that you know black people black americans as a block as a group have not always had the ability to affect consequence in the way that we do right now say, say, say more about say more about that injecting consequence say more about what you mean by that man so you know there is i guess let's just say for, for any number of issues, right? So if you talk about um, inequalities in schooling, if you talk about um, redlining, uh, police brutality, all these different, certainly instances of structural racism, they are rooted obviously in the, you know, originally white supremacist ideology or, and honestly, I think part of that is, is both intentional and benign, right? That's, that's often, I think, what we, what's been talked about more in a situation, but perhaps not enough is, is the benign, elements, right? That it's not just, okay, you know, a certain, you know, it's not the Illuminati's around the table being like, oh, you know, we got to get these Negroes, right? You know, it's, it's the, oh, we need to build this system to ensure that the soldiers coming back from war have a place to live and the ability to go to school. Oh, we're going to give it to the black folks? No, like they don't count, right? <laughs> and then the soldiers getting it are not like, oh man, well, black people aren't getting this, are they, right? They're just like, oh, thank you, sir. Let me take my GI Bill and go get this money, right? But, you know, the, the people on the other end of those situations did not have the social standing, the economic power, the wherewithal to speak truth to power and to hold the perpetrators to account. And I think now with traditional media, with social media, with a larger um, economic base that is not segregated from the larger economy, that is actually a significant player in the current consumer-based economy, Black Americans as a group, and not to, to perpetuate a monolith, but just, you know, the idea that collectively, right, for, against any number of causes, you now really have the opportunity to, to affect change and to levy consequences. So whether it's, you know, the boycotts has kind of been a traditional angle of this, but I think something even beyond boycotts, right? It's, okay, if you live in a city, and I've even thought about this in ways that organizations can kind of direct their funds, right? If you live in a city, if you live in a neighborhood like Harlem, and there are specific zoning rules that are about to come into play, 
or there's been a disproportionate delivery of services in your area, can you amass a critical group of individuals who have enough ownership? So whether that's uh, property ownership, economic stake, other means to essentially put pressure on the people in power, right? Or take, kick out the people in power and put in their own people. I, I really think that's kind of the next evolution of where we're going, not necessarily to, you know, use the old phrase, like repurpose the master's tools, so to speak, but I think just to, to reimagine what society looks like and who has the power in it. So I know that was a bit of a long-winded response, but, you know, that's, it's so difficult, right? I feel like there's so many things that, that have been going on in my head around these things. And, and that's, that's a lot of the, the vision and, and view that I keep coming back to is that it is agitation in the street. It is the grassroots activist movements. It is, you know, getting these symbols of oppression, like the statues and, and the derogatory, you know, team names and all the rest of it down. But it's also actually taking the power and being the ones to replace the current structures that have been holding you down as well. So you said something at the very beginning, and then I want to I want to ask you something else. You said, for example, at the very beginning, you said you didn't think this would still be happening, right? You didn't think these protests or this movement would still be going on. And then you talked about, you know, again, how things were built intentionally. Like they, they took time and thought about writing Black people out of the story. Like you said, mm-hmm. GI Bill, you know, all the federal housing programs and redlining and allowing banks to, you know, make those, make those sick covenants. For those who haven't heard about it, basically allowing banks to write mortgages that would let them take the, take the house back and all the mortgage payments to that point would be gone if they missed one payment or something like that. Yeah. You know, if they violate the terms, uh, so to speak. And yep. so all this stuff in mind, you know, and, 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 and this is still not a segregated society. This is not, no longer a segregated society. But, so black people have always been doing this. Why are other people getting involved now? Man, there's so many interesting questions. I think the, the prevailing view is that the, the pandemic allowed everyone to really stop and reflect and not have the distraction uh, that perpetuates the myth that racism doesn't exist. Right. When you're going through your day to day, your day to day is pretty good and everything else like you. It's easy to believe that this is just an isolated incident and there's nothing really else to it. But I think then where people saw a string of incidents happen in a row and you have, I think, the Floyd killing in particular occurring on video that then gets reshared, you know, millions of times while people are just chilling in the crib. Like it it hits you differently, I think. So I think that was a. That was a big part of it. And I think the other part of it is like the a conclusion of the current moment is that government and society have failed, right? Like the fact that we're still seeing the levels of increase in cases and deaths related to the coronavirus is, is an indictment of, of the U.S. and particularly of the U.S. in relation to uh, other Western uh, democracies and, and East Asian democracies for that matter, right? So... And non-democracies in a certain respect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think when you see all that coupled together and you think, you know, if you have an idea that essentially, you know, the civil society and, and potentially your elected officials will take care of you, will support you, will, will have a plan to ensure your well-being. And then when you see that kind of crumble in real time, perhaps then that, that opens your, 
your mind and and your consciousness to the idea that you know oh well maybe it maybe everything everybody else has been saying about it not working for them has been true all along but it, it's really you know it's a fascinating question i think people will be working tirelessly to figure out figure it out for posterity i think i think you're right both to figure it out and then i'm i guess i'm a little different from you in that not only do i think that you know these protests i guess i am surprised as well that they gone this long, although we're still kind of in the same phase of play, so to speak. Yeah. But what I don't know if I believe in necessarily is that once play resumes, right, once we get back to normal, although there may never be a normal again, who knows, right. once we get back to what we recognize as, or would say is more normal, do we then just move on, right? And I think that's something else I'm really, I'm really well, skeptical of. What, what would preclude the moving on is actual truth and reconciliation. And that's the most difficult part to get to, is that education, right? Of, of, and I think more people are, are getting involved in, in these aspects and really learning, but having understanding of why structures, institutions, civil society, you know, police departments, you know, universities, everything, right? Why, why are things truly the way they are? Who had a hand in that, good, bad, or indifferent? What are the consequences of those decisions that still affect us? And then, you know, and and then understanding that there have been, in many cases, you know, significant negative outcomes disproportionately affecting segments of our citizenry, then okay, fine, we can come to terms on the go for it. But but you're right. The 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 okie doke is gonna be like, all right, man. Redskins gone, right? We done kicked out these owners. We took down some statues. We, you know, took on Jemima off the bottle. Like, we cool now, right? And well, I just saw to this same point, you know, all these corporate entities are, you know, we're giving our, employee, our employees off for Juneteenth. We're, you know, posting solidarity statements. And then you look at the FEC disclosures and they're pouring money into essentially GOP candidates or sitting GOP legislators who oppose civil rights. Right, right. And so that's that's where I think ultimately, unfortunately, financial interests dictate the state of play at the end of the day. And that's where then we have to, we have to figure out how to deploy our own resources, even though they're not, you know, at the same level of, of the Cokes and the Mercers and others, how do we deploy our own resources to to combat that? And And not even just to combat that, but just to have like, real talk man like and it's funny because it doesn't even all have to be heavy right like some of the stuff is hilarious yeah. like especially the the opposition is is absolutely hilarious just clown, um, shoe, just clown shoes yeah man <laughs> you know and so yeah i think i think if just people could just be more real about a lot of these situations we'd be in a better better place but the the willingness to learn the willingness to have frank discourse and and really unpack to, you know, the roots and the consequences, yeah, is what it's going to take to really get through this moment. Because frankly, right, you're going to find detractors and you're going to find uh, roadblocks at every turn, right? Exemplified by the continued air assault of the Confederate flag over NASCAR races uh, and, uh, and the fact that, you know, the, the Breonna Taylor uh, officers are still um, walking the streets. You're saying a lot. You're making me think, which is um, part of why I like doing this, catching up and, and thinking about yeah. 
about these things and I don't know. I mean, there's a million ways to go with it <laughs> with all of that. We, we, we can we can segue directly into the food now. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. We're not. That takes it to a two different area. But I'm curious, you know, because like you said, for example, I think something that really helps with um, processing or even broaching these, and and frankly, I mean, within our community, right, we've always sort of used humor as part of this thing to to expose those, you know, things that if you weren't laughing, you'd be crying, you know, right. and so. You know, I'm thinking, for example, of people like Dave Chappelle, right, who, who, has, been, who has come back a couple times now um, over the past, what, three or so years, probably, with a few, mm. few specials, and, and he did something uh, in the sort of era of social distancing, yeah. and he said stuff, and I'm listening to his, his um, routine, some of it's not even necessarily that comedic, but, you know, there's this mix, right, of, of I don't know, of, of people also being painted wholly of one cloth or another right so as a just broad example dave Chappelle, i think is saying really interesting things about race and racism and you know how his experiences or, or others are there mm -hmm. and then and, that, and perhaps even more specifically about black about black anti-black racism and things right and then he's also i think you know rightly criticized in certain ways for other views for example yeah. against the lgbt community right i think is one where he's he struggled perhaps to, to find a, a similar equivalent kind of language and obviously doesn't have that same experience personally, mm -hmm. but I think part of what's interesting then is the conversation shifts from about racism and then shifts into this whole space of where this person's sort of fallen. I think we just saw it with Nick Cannon this week, right? Ooh. I think, we're, you know, my boy, D. Jax, Deshaun Jackson ooh, ooh, ooh. in Philly saying, you know, with I think out of great ignorance and, you know, again, really a lack of education or saying really problematic things about our brothers and sisters of Jewish faith. Right. And I think, you know, those, those are, those are things we got to figure out how we, how do we advance justice broadly? Right. I know this is a moment for obviously anti-black racism primarily, but even within that movement, right. Anti-black racism against it seems like cis men. Right. You know, so how do we, how do we, how do we manage these things? Man, you know, it's, I guess the, internet worthy response would be something to the effect of uh we get we got to remediate not cancel mm -hmm. um and you know i think it's obviously reductive as hell but like it's man if i may i'll shift the discussion a little bit okay another interesting phenomenon in this whole thing was the expectation of commentary right so Going back a little bit to the Jordan discussion, the idea that our public figures, our athletes, our celebrities, actors, you know, politicians, et cetera, would have points of view on the current moment, on the police incidents of police brutality, on the, you know, the killings, um, the protests, everything, right? And the idea that both individuals and as what our celebrities and athletes have now become, the individual as corporations and corporations are all putting out their statements and views on front street and on one hand it's great right because it's a model for others to follow clearly they have a great deal of influence as public figures especially for you know caucasians and you know white people european descent non-black folks in general right like you being out in front and saying i do not support this i am for or rather I'm against uh, anti-black racism, I'm for the Black Lives Matter movement, et cetera, is, is a great thing. On the flip side, 
not everybody got something to say when it comes down to it, right? And there are a lot of people who frankly don't, and maybe, you know, I, I count myself in, in certain contexts, right? Who don't know enough and haven't done their homework and probably shouldn't be talking. And that's, that's the balance, right? Um, and I think as, a, as, a, as an audience, as a body politic, as a concerned citizenry, as black folks, especially on, on Twitter, we gotta strike the balance of maybe not thinking, okay, such and such a person is not commenting or is not joining or is not posting, not because they're not down, but maybe because they rightly believe that they are not equipped for the next level of dialogue or discourse, right? Because DJAC, I mean, it was one thing to, to make the statement that was obviously abhorrent, but then the, the, the attempted walk back and explanations and even the cannons joint, it's like, man, <laughs> why, right? You know, and that's, that's the thing is that people, people are quick with the heat, but they're not quick with the, the, the discussion and the research you know and and that's that's part of the problem right i think we're we're so we're so desirous to want us to add our voice to the public square that we're not willing to listen and just be quiet for a hot minute but in terms of actually you know creating a society and a structure that will promote equality and promote the lift uplift of, of all these marginalized groups you know it, it's gonna take work and it's gonna be, a, I think, an art, not a science, right? Like on some level, it's around the level in which you tolerate, you know, various toxic behaviors in your, your personal circle and your family, amongst your friends and in your squares. Um, it's gonna be how we, we take those same approaches at, in the corporate space, in the public sphere, among our politicians, wink, wink, cough, cough. You know, all those things together are really gonna be part of it. And then it's around like, equity, right? Not, not just equality, but equity. Um, and the thing that I was coming back to uh, talking about sort of our shared grad school experience is uh, Spivak, right? Like the subaltern, I feel like this is the discussion around the subaltern is, is what we keep coming back to over and over again, where who has the obligation and the right to speak, you know, because in every, what we're finding is in every group, if we take the black community, the Latino community, the Jewish community, et cetera, there are those who are oppressors even within that group while they are the oppressed on the macro level. And everyone I think is dealing with their dual stations in that environment and, and people kind of have to check themselves. And that's, that's part of it. I think the, you know, people want to talk a lot about kind of empathy and decency and whatever else, but I think it's humility is goes a long way in this conversation and then not only in the conversation about sort of reframing uh society and reframing our social structures but also the the public health conversation the humility to say that i am not a scientist a pathologist or a public health professional and therefore i need to wear a damn mask and shut up <laughs> right exactly imagine i wasn't a certified scuba diver so i didn't need an oxygen tank to go you know right out right. there in cage diving whatever with the exactly. great whites. But. Exactly. No, not to say that, I think on the flip side too, I think it's important to realize, you know, <clears throat> a lot of people get apprehensive because if they're not equipped from, with the, you know, the language of, of post-colonial theory to, to get on board, <laughs> but they also don't need to be. I think that's where we go back to the real talk, right? Like 
if you if you come with a sense of humility to say i believe this is wrong or this is unsettling or this is new to me i mean let's take advantage of kind of for example bringing it back to a context that we're familiar with the woodrow wilson school right and the decision to change that name <clears throat> to princeton school of public policy for me personally i really was unaware how much that name and wilson's legacy on campus affected you know fellow black students and many of my good friends right like when the name change happened you look on social media and all these people are posting about it i was honestly i had to really look at myself i was like damn like you know what's wrong with me right like i wasn't how did i not see this how did i not perceive this and you know a lot of that also comes down to you know your own attitudes the things you bring in with your family right like my uh my mom is really from Haiti and, and we lived overseas for a long time. So our kind of experience of of that sense of kind of pervasive racism and, and anti-black, you know, sentiment in different structures is is not as key, right? It wasn't kind of the attitude around my house is like, uh, doesn't matter what it's called, like if it's good, get that shit, right? But on the flip side, obviously, if it's hurtful for a great number of people, you know, and and frankly the the benefits are not diminished in fact they're they're inflated by by doing something like changing a name and that's that's what's got to happen and so i think with everybody it's 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 being humble enough and self self-reflective enough to to be a willing participant in in that endeavor and i think for everyone who's not a willing participant then tough shit man. <laughs> like yeah, I think if, if more people of, as they say, people of goodwill get together, then, you know, you start to drown out the noise a little bit. I, I agree with basically all of that. And I think you're right. It seems like a lot, but hey, we got to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. And, yep. you know, like you said, it needs to go both ways. We need to be taking in new information and new ways of being and, you know, open to change. We need to be able to, I think you're right. We need to be able to serve that up within our own circles because mm-hmm. we're only getting there if we work on it together. And totally. If not now, when? You know, <laughs> if not now. No, real, real talk, man. Real talk. So yeah, man. So back to the home life. I, like you said, you guys are, uh, you know, everyone's got their own version of quarantine kitchen going on. Oh man, yeah. What are you guys been, making ma- magic with? Well, you know, my uh, chefing it up has been, been uh, for a long time. Basically, the duration of our marriage, my core responsibility in, in the home. <laughs> so. Uh, so I, I've really tried. I feel like we yo-yo so much. Like, huh. I mean, even this week, we went from a bomb-ass bolognese to a Chinese takeout to uh, baked salmon with some, uh, what did we do with the salmon? Oh, yeah, I made it almost like a, a, almost like a teriyaki bowl. So we had some leftover white rice, um, had some nori, used the baked salmon, um, and then brought some, uh, some vegetables with that. Uh, so that was bomb. But then tonight it's like, yo, pizza. <laughs> right? It just, yeah, it just goes up and down. But it's been it's been fun. I mean, again, for us, um, when you consider when when everything happened, uh, I happened to be out of out of work, uh, working out of the office some of those days, and we taken David into daycare. And so when I saw the line starting at the grocery store, I just went went in, right? Like stocked up the whole nine. So we had quite a bit of food to to go through. And then like a lot of people went through the whole, you know, wholesale restaurant deliveries and, and all that stuff. So it's been, it's been interesting trying things out. I have not uh, gone uh, fully on your side of the wheel and, and done the whole bread baking thing. 
Uh, that is not my forte. I thought I would bake more, but it is, turns out it's difficult to have open vessels full of flour and other items with a, a nine month and 10 month old running around the kitchen. So you don't put them where you can reach it, man. You, you keep it up higher. Well, yeah, but it's like, okay. I feel like it's so easy. No, no, no. But like it, it is easy. It could be easy. It's just like, well, for one, you know, we did things where, for example, we got an exercise bike and got rid of our desk. Like we weren't really using the desk, but the kitchen counter is also where the laptops are half the time. So that kind of cuts out on space. But then like he's just, you'll be at the counter and then he'll kind of crawl up and pull, if you're wearing pants, pull on your pant legs to stand up. So you're like stuck. So imagine if you were like had the bowl, you know, you've, you've set it, it's resting. Yep. And then you're trying to transfer to the oven. I see. Like, so it's not even necessarily just the flour. It's just the fact that you got you need a yeah, yeah. your hands even. Yeah, it's the whole thing, and that's why dinner, you know, is usually if it's a week de- weekend, you know, I can get some some cool burgers or, or barbecue, other kind of grill going on while he's more easily distractible. Um, but otherwise, the real the real work happens at night after he goes to bed. Mm. Um, but it's been it's been fun, man. I, I really when I mean, you talk about outlets and having that release, kind of with that work life. Um, not so much work-life balance, who has that, uh, but just stepping away from, from it all. Like, I, I really do enjoy the cooking, and that's been probably one of the, one of the great <clears throat> opportunities of, of this time at home, which is really <clears throat> doing that, right? I think a lot of times with the commute, you come home, you, maybe you're making something quick, but it's, you don't really get to enjoy it because you're scrambling, and it's, you know, 8, 9 o'clock anyway. But now we've had time to, you know, occasionally, very occasionally work out and and figure out what we have and that's my thing is I, i'm not really a recipe guy so it's mm-hmm. like, what do we have in the fridge um what do we have in the freezer what what do we feel like tonight and and just make magic so it's it's been cool glad to hear that yeah like i said i think you talk about the restaurant you know sort of sur- surplus delivery like everything has so radically changed i mean even yeah. hopefully better now but even in the beginning going to the grocery store completely changed and so mm-hmm. i think just, you know, people's relationship with food and the way it comes, the way, you know, what it takes to get. Oh, yeah. With, with the emphasis is sort of like lifted up for you. It's like, oh, you know, you know, stuff is not just fast and convenient and mindless anymore in certain ways. Yeah, no, totally. And and the fact that the people serving you in all these contexts are now essential workers basically risking their lives to do so. So that that adds that weight, right? Like now, yeah. now, man, you talk about food waste, like it's a, it's a whole different level. <laughs> Food waste, even service. I had the thought because, you know, there's all these sliding scale risk, you know, sort of graphics you can look at that says, obviously, sitting in a, a bar or a nightclub is probably the riskiest. And then, you know, playing, taking a walk outside is at the bottom. But right. also near the bottom is like being in a grocery store. I'm like, oh, that's interesting because you, you move through pretty quickly. They, you know, keep an eye on the capacity. You're in and you're out. But I'm thinking about it. It's not the same way for a worker, right? Someone who's sitting at that counter being exposed to many more people for the duration of their shift, being in more proximity. If you think about the things like, you know, that, you know, and, and again, you hope that the limited number of people help, but yeah. if they're in that space and the, the, the load builds or whatever, you know, they're, they're way more at risk than, than I am just running in and out to get a few, you know, hopefully staple items for the week. Totally. Totally. The different, yeah. You got to look at the other side more, I think. Yeah, definitely. Man. Well, I mean, is, is that not the theme of our conversation, sir? You got to, <laughs> got to look at the other side you gotta you know see yourself through their eyes bro see yourself through there walk a mile in their high heels uh exactly 
So what else? You, you're you're done with dad duty for the night? What's the story? People sleeping through the night these days? Yeah, no, I mean, he's, uh, <clears throat> we've been very fortunate in that front. You know, again, my wife is amazing. Uh, she had, she would follow this blog, like taking care of babies or something. And uh, they I had- see, I see you follow it too. Yes, yeah, so of course, of course. <laughs> Or I mean, <laughs> listen, I know where my bread is butter, right? Um, but yeah, no, they, they have this advice to uh, to really start um, regimenting the sleep cycle early on. And that's what we did. And we were, you know, pretty fortunate by, by month four, he was sleeping through the night. And, uh, you know, it's pretty much been on the schedule of like roughly 6.30 to 6.30 every night, which is great because that's what, you know, gives us an opportunity to kind of chill together and do some additional work if we need to and you know make dinner and all the rest of it so that's been cool trying to think what else i mean you know i don't know i I could regale you with conversations that we have around you know child rearing and development and we had uh we had a call this week about the daycare reopening and it's you know much like every other school situation it's a it's a trip right like you got what do you think of i mean before we were mad anti now we're kind of on the fence because we are we are hitting the limits of our ability to effectively entertain him <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, I guess educate too. But so we're more open to it. But the problem is the, the place where we have been was a significant subway ride away. Mm-hmm. Um, it was down on like West uh, 63rd, give or take, 63rd, 63rd and West End. So two, like, two, three stops away? Yeah, you know, two, three stops express. If the express is running now, I don't even know what the MTA situation is. And so it's a question of, okay, do you, do you chance that on a consistent basis to, to make that happen? So when was the last time you were on the subway? March. When was the last day before quarantine? Wow. So you really are off it. Yeah. No, man. Off, off that entirely. Like we, our mode of transportation has been walking and my parents' car and Uber's. But I mean, Uber's very infrequently. Mm-hmm. I was taking Uber in the beginning to go to the groceries and kind of bring stuff home. But Again, as as our uh, relate our uh, quarantined relationship with my parents has evolved, now we're we're in the car sharing method where it's like you know it's like gym equipment. Use use the whip, <laughs> I saw it down, wipe it down, <laughs> and then, then drop the keys. Off, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, we haven't done subway at all now, like at all at all. That's good perspective because that basically means probably almost nobody's going like more than a twenty block radius from where they are. Well, except for all the special people in the Bronx, right? That's the, that's the issue. It's like the NCA cut service and then everybody's still rolling through from like uptown and Queens and whatnot, but they're on packed trains because it's only like, you know, instead of three and <laughs> every 30 minutes, it's like one every 30 minutes. Like, you know what I mean? Yikes. It doesn't make any sense. Yikes. Just, but, the, but these are the things, right? Again, there's bringing it back full circle of like, direct action that has intended and unintended consequences that disproportionately affect black and brown people, right? You, from a public health perspective, you decide to limit MTA service so that those employees don't have to work unnecessarily and you discourage subway use. But then you say essential workers were basically delivery drivers, cabbies, grocery store workers gotta go in. Who are all they, right? In this city, Dominican, (laughs) where they live, uptown (laughs) what do they take the subway yeah right in the same way the parks they shut the parks down they yo they took the rims off the hoof dog (laughs) at first i was like oh are they like are they are they fixing this park 
And then we kept walking. We walked down the West Side Highway. We were walking to Central Park. We were walking. All, all of them gone. All of them gone. Mass action. Shoot. Right now, I'm sorry. Like I don't know if there was an actual conversation down at City Hall where someone was like, "Wait, the Negroes can't be trusted to social distance. We must remove the hoop." Well, but, imagine them in New York City being like, "How could you social distance while while playing defense in the post? Right, while going hard in the paint." Right. And yes, Lynn, yes, the, the reality is that certain leisure activities lend themselves to distance more than others, right? Like golf, et cetera. But volleyball nets were still up. Mm. Harder distance five on five. Yep. Just saying. Yep. Right. So, you know, it's, it's hilarious. And also hilarious is the, the various styles of mask wearing in especially uptown, man. Oh, child. My my favorite is the mask around the chin with the cigarette. <laughs> hey, that's for if they go inside a store, man. Yeah, listen. But, but, but come on, right? Like every once in a while, I'm tempted to walk up to somebody and be like, do you, sir, are you aware of what kind of disease COVID-19 is? Stop. <laughs> it's, not, it's not going out to the beard. Right, well, it's not even going out to the beard, it's, but it's also like the smoking. Like I understand you need it, but like, bro. <laughs> Maybe you want to save your lung capacity on the off chance that your lung capacity is therefore reduced. One of life's great ironies, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's a trip. It's a trip. But it's been, it's been fun. You know, all the, obviously there have been a lot of challenges, but on the whole, we've been very fortunate in, um, in our situation. You know, we have a, a space with a little outdoor patio. You know, both are able to work remotely. Kid's happy and healthy. He's not so old where we're concerned about him actually missing schooling right it's really just about you know hot potato and keep the baby alive yeah. <laughs> which we are close to doing for a year and so we're we're good except occasionally we get incidents like the margarita store go on ah so what happened was it was early june we went out for a walk i think it was one of our walks down the west side it was hot as hell out so we had bought a little kiddie pool and we're like all right let's uh you know, let's set him up for a swim. So we come home, get the baby in the pool. Everything's good. Had a swim diaper on. And my parents had, I think they'd gone out previously and given us a, a margarita that they bought. So we split one and had it in uh, some reunions cups out on the patio with the baby. So pull baby out when he's done. We're discussing uh, logistics about, okay, you know, do we bathe them? Do we do this? Do we do that? pull the diaper off and uh, my wife Deb has them in the towel and we're having a conversation. All of a sudden she's like, ah, oh, just something warm. And I'm sitting in a chair. She's standing up. I we both, she looks down. I look up a stream is coming perfectly out of the towel into her margarita. That's on the floor. I'm telling you chef curry art. Oh. Perfect shot. What was what was on his what expression was on his face? How pleased was he? Oh, uh, so happy. I mean, like I, I don't even think it was, it was nothing. It was nothing to him. It was it was it was an entanglement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he was. It, it was nothing. He was blissful as can be, and she finally was as upset about that as I was about the first time he peed in my face. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, my blood just ran cold. I'm glad you guys saw it because what could have happened? Oh. Yo, it's, it's incredible. He's never going to live it down. And you know what? So going back to Bomani Jones, as you know, I'm a big fan. So his, his uh, podcast has like a call-in segment. And one of the topics was like, you know, tell me your craziest quarantine parenting story. And I called in with that story and it made the show. Did it really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. 
Gotta find that up, bro. Send me that yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. But no, man, it's, it's, it is the most, it's now our barometer for disrespect. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh man, David was terrible. I mean, was it? She and Margarita? I mean, no, 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 not that. Oh, that's the benchmark. <laughs> yeah, man. So think about this hot day. You go through all this work to get the thing set up, you know, get the toys in there, get him in there, do this, do that. Like, it's, it's a whole production. And you and never paid. Have the audacity, the unmitigated gall to pee in his mama's margarita. That man, you're going to have a few margaritas, then you're going to be telling that story at his wedding. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, one one hundred. No margarita is necessary. <laughs> you just do it for effect. Yeah, yes. Now you notice I will not drink from this margarita because Lord knows exactly. You're around David all day. Nope. That's right. No man, it, it'll it'll be his tootsie roll. <laughs> we'll tell that story on season two. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you know, yeah, man, it's really it's it's good to be able to laugh at these things uh, amidst you know everything else. But yeah. Yeah, it's a trip. I'm, I'm just happy. I'm just happy we have survived to now him being almost one years old, and uh, and now we're done. That's your core responsibility, exactly. That's your primary goal. Just That's advance right. him, advance him to, to year one. Survive in advance, man. And then, <laughs> exactly. You know, and any any listeners out there, if you want a a cute, cuddly, delectable little black boy for rent, <laughs> happy to oblige. Oh man! Well, thank you so much for having me on this, man. This is no problem, uh, bro. Um, uh, yeah, it's been it's been dope. I feel like as soon as you said you were you know, starting this idea of doing a podcast, that was amazing, and you've done a great job with it. And you know, it's it has inspired me to actually consider you know different avenues of of expression and, and various. Really? Yeah, man. Well, you know, I had written that one thing that I sent to you, and just kind of like you know, piece together ideas and, and be more eloquent probably than I've been in, in the past hour here. But yeah, well, it's, it's an interesting time, like you said, and, and the opportunity to, to participate in, in the discourse and, and to learn, I think is, is dope. And, and especially this way, like you said, be able to reconnect with homies and talk about the issues of the day and, and everything else. Like it's a really, <clears throat> really cool idea, really cool, cool platform and concept. And, you know, killing it, bro. Thanks again for listening along to today's episode. Many thanks to Robert for his time, his insights, and for the reminder to stay humble. Keep a sharp eye on your drinks in the meantime. We'll talk soon.